Welcome to the Health and Wealth Power Hour, the podcast provides you with the knowledge and insights you need to achieve physical, mental, and financial well-being. I'm your host, Arlen Pickett, a business consultant who's passionate about helping people achieve a more balanced and healthier life. Each week, we'll deep dive into topics related to health and wealth, including retirement income planning, innovative healthcare solutions, alternative funded health plans, and specific actions individuals and business owners can take to gain control of their finances, have access to affordable quality health care, and achieve peace of mind. We'll also be joined by innovative experts who will share their knowledge and insights on prevalent topics. So, whether you're looking to grow your wealth or improve your health, you've come to the right place. Get ready to be informed, inspired, and empowered. Let's get started. All right, welcome to another exciting episode of the Health and Wealth Power Hour. I am your host, Harlan Pickett. It is so great for you to be with us today. Tell you what, you guys are in for a real, real treat. Philip Ailes is going to join us today. This gentleman is a retired U.S. combat veteran. Uh, He spent time in Iraq. He says his actual, one of his favorite deployments, I want to hear about this too, was at the Pentagon. Hmm, secret stuff. All right. He's also going to talk about what his mission is right now. Uh, One of the things that I see, I think, pretty consistently is that anyone who was ever in the military seems to always have a mission, even whenever they leave the military. And I think that's very important because they have been trained in a very certain way, Uh, depending on what they did. They have the opportunity to bring those skills then into civilian life. The problem that lies there is how do they do that? That is one of the big things that Philip concentrates on is helping in that transition from military life to civilian life, but more importantly, using the skill sets that you learn there to help you find the best job and the best life once you move into civilian life. There's a lot of skills you have to learn to make that transition and we are excited to have you with us today, Philip, to talk about those. Thank you for being with us, sir. Hey, I greatly appreciate the opportunity. Yeah, absolutely. So you're out there in Jacksonville, Florida, correct? Yes, I am in J- the bright and sunny Jacksonville, Florida that's now cloudy. <laughs> well, it happens to be cloudy in San Antonio, Texas today, too. So, uh, <laughs> you know, we usually have lots of sunshine as well. Um, and of course we're pretty famous for our heat this year in particular, because we've been very, very dry and very, very hot this year, but maybe we're getting a little bit of a fall. I saw, I think three leaves changing color the other day. So, uh, they were either dried up and shriveling and dying, or maybe they're actually turning because we did have a small cool snap come through. Hey, I really do appreciate you. I'm very impressed with what you're doing. Uh, I know that you at, at times even travel around the country to speak with veterans and folks that are stepping out of those roles. Uh, You have programs for them. You help folks really make the most of their life. Uh, There are so many opportunities for veterans whenever they step away. And I think so many are lost because they cannot adapt and change their mindset. So talk a little bit about what the transition was for you. And then in a little while, I want to kind of go back to your military career. But first off, I want to hear what struggles you had when you first came out and why you decided to go down this pathway. What really brought you to that realization? 
Well, you know what? It all began. Uh, really, I was in the guard when I in the National Guard for Ohio uh, when I was seventeen, because I realized I knew nothing, and I couldn't afford to go and do travel. So I learned how to work travel. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I, I started out, I always went, loved law enforcement since uh, an accident I, that I got into when I was five and the deputy pulled us out and calmed us kids while they tended to my father. And I was impressed from that early age. And of course, through throughout time as my adolescence and everything, I didn't have the normal childhood that I thought was normal, wasn't normal. And I didn't find that out until I got out in the world and realized that, what do you mean? We don't sit there and smack each other or get in fights. What do you mean? <laughs> Normally, why isn't Joe over there having a fight with uh, Susie? And why aren't they arguing? Well, because there's nothing for them to argue about. They're, they're normal people. <laughs> <laughs> and I learned that warrior mode. I spent mass majority of my life in warrior mode. And everything was a battle. Because, I mean, sometimes to eat, uh, there was times where it's ramen noodles and bread <laughs> because you can't afford the peanut butter and the jelly to put on it. <laughs> and, uh, and I had those times, but you know what? The way I looked at it is I was the only one going to have to change that. My uh, family was, I was the first generation to go to, to complete college. Wow. Okay. A lot of people went. But and you know what? They gave me flack when I went. Why are you doing this? It, it doesn't matter. Yeah, it does for me. And I did it for me because I didn't, I got tired of being told I was underqualified. That, oh, well, we get people with bachelors all the time. I get a bachelor's, get a bachelor's. Oh, well, hey, we get people with masters that are applying for these jobs. I get a master's and, oh, you're overqualified now. <laughs> well, because you can't do anything in D.C. unless you have a master's or above. Because everybody else does. But unfortunately, they, or fortunately enough for me, I didn't grow up with parents that helped me. I had to do it all on my own. And I had nobody to rely on to bail me out of anything. And those are the type of individuals the military looks great. Because it gives me the opportunity and it gave me the opportunity to see and experience and work things I would have never been able to if I didn't take the measures I did. And realize that it was up to me. And sometimes you, I, we, I married my high school sweetheart. We grew apart. I grew up, she stayed the same. And 
then because we both had expectations and we both made mistakes. But you know what? I got my daughters out of it. And when they were born, I was a police officer at University of Dayton. I sat in my cruiser one night going, I'm making 10 bucks an hour, crappy benefits. I can, I was still, I was 26 years old. I already had time in the military, so I went active duty. Everybody and their brother tried to talk me out of it. My father, her father, everybody from my unit, because I never put it, I never put all my eggs in that military basket because military, when you're in the reserves or national guard, it's, you have to maintain the standards of the military, but they're not taking care of you at all through the rest of the month. They only handle you during those days that you're working or you're on a deployment. And I found out employers really don't like that. <laughs> <laughs> because it's the military comes first right and with me having to do that and i needed that sense of security for my family so i could focus on what i was needing to do out of my life that i will work full-time with school full-time and rose raised a family. And you get these kids nowadays, oh well, um, I have to work while I go to school. Well, you know what? My daughters didn't have to worry about that because I'm a hundred percent VA. They got paid to go to school and they got a tuition waiver. So why wouldn't I would have died or I would have killed somebody <laughs> for that <laughs> back in the day. Cause we weren't making, I was making $3 and 35 cents an hour going to college. And these kids nowadays, you pay a candy bar for that, or that's how much a candy bar costs. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, and it just seems like it It went, we were steady in there for a while. And then now all of a sudden it just greed out of everything. And I've seen so much money wasted in other countries that could benefit us so much here in the United States. But it's the politics behind it. Because the government just wants you to focus on that $100 billion to go to Ukraine or whatever. Well, they don't talk to you about the $6.1 trillion they're budgeting. Wait a minute. Where's the 6.1 going? Where, where's the other money going, right? Yeah. yeah. They never talk about that. Right. But it's hot button issues that it's $5 billion for a wall. That's pennies. Compared to yeah. six point one trillion, and the thing about it is, they've been pushing the mail-in ballots and everything. Well, you know what? There's too much fraud in that, and they know it. And why would we want to just open our borders for anybody to come in? 
when it taxes the uh, or it puts a strain on all the resources because it's not designed to handle an extra hundred thousand people <clears throat> and everybody's great when you're spending somebody else's money <laughs> that's true if they what would you do if that money wasn't there but what do you do when their their job is just to spend? They never make or create. They just spend. But when and these are the things that you find out when you get out into the civilian world. Because in the military, you're completely dictated under UCMJ. And they will nuke you for it. And so I learned to play the system. I was always ranked high on my PT scores. I was always 295 or above. I had college and every, I checked all the blocks because I had to do it for me. Because if I didn't do it, some other less qualified person is going to be put in that position. And now they're going to be in charge of you. But I read Colin Powell's books. I read any leader or general that I could talk to, I did. I freaked them out in Korea because I was going to go into college and I did an informational interview with the three-star general. That was the 8th Army commander. And my commander called me and was like, uh, is there something we need to worry about? I was like, what do you mean? He's like, you're on the, the schedule for the general. I said, like, yeah, I met his wife through another community project. And I just asked him, can I get on your schedule? And he said, sure. And he had a Fulberg colonel as his secretary. Or his go-to guy. Or chief of staff or whatever you want to call it. Right. <clears throat> and what they don't know. Uh, and the military puts all its true learning and education towards the officers. The listen, we have to fight and we have to do what we're supposed to do and still do it when, because there's like, well, you don't need that to be an enlisted. Well, actually you do now because mass majority of that bachelors are more. And what do you do? Well, you know what? I, I never saw myself as less than. And I believe in human rights. And one of the things I found out on active duty was the good old boy system. Uh, that was a dark time because my mouth got me in trouble because I believed in rule <laughs> <brew of> law. <laughs> <laughs> Not my interpretation of what's reading written and that's where the I think the disconnect comes because you can go to the extremes with anything and they went to the extremes to where they didn't want anybody they you've you were uneasy to talk to anybody because you might offend them or whatever and so that's how they gain powers because everybody else is fighting each other not paying attention to what's going on above them. 
and we were emotion. I was emotionally driven. So, and I, I didn't have control over it. I blew up and called this, I call bullshit when bullshit was there. <laughs> and I, I learned that I was supposed to shut up and just do it. So I learned to shut up and just do it. And all I did was pay attention because the more, if you know more than they do, you win because they're going to, I've been under, and that's how I got into a liaison position with Iraq, with a Pentagon. They, I, I ticked them off so much what they did. They put me in a position they thought I'd fail at. And they could have their reason, but what they underestimated me because I was already way above them or way ahead of them. I use it to network with everybody in the Pentagon. <laughs> and when I've told that story, you know, I've had officers look at me and go, well, tell me something about the Pentagon. So I told him, well, there's a, uh, a sausage cart in the center. No, unless you've been there, you know nothing about it. And I always hated the onions and green pepper smells because I don't like onions or green peppers. Okay. <laughs> and I told him exactly where it was. And he was like, oh, because apparently people exaggerate and make stuff up. I don't have time to. <laughs> I was too busy out doing it and learning and going. When I was in DC, I didn't just sit there and party or do what all the other guys were doing. I was out going to the museums and learning because when would I ever get a chance to do it again? So I looked at it and was like, wow, I, I get to actually live history. I met Brett Baer at the Pentagon. He's a correspondent with Fox News. He was the war correspondent because I was there when Iraq first popped off. Okay. So I got to, I went over into the press room, was like, took pictures of me just like I was given a press brief. <laughs> and you know what? Brett Bear was a good guy. All these people that I meet, they were saying, sometimes don't meet your heroes because you'll be disappointed. Right. They're just normal people. They were put in certain circumstances that gave them a certain experience in life. We all do that. And you didn't understand, know your surroundings, know what you can learn, what you can gain from any situation. And that's why I was able to excel in inhospitable places because I don't care about the it to me it's the experience if this is where I have to live I'll make it the best I can and keep making it better until I'm comfortable because it's home for X amount of time right and I had I had a great first sergeant that told me he's like you can only do what you can do all you can do is make it, take your situation and try to make it better than what you got it. And that's one of the things that three-star general told me. He says, 
just as you start to think you know what you're doing, they pull you out, put you somewhere else to start over. That's the reality behind it. And that's where I think a lot of veterans and first responders don't understand that doesn't it that was your that's part of who you are, but it's not your identity anymore. You have to, and now we get to unpack all that trauma that we compacted over X amount of years, because it's not just one, it's multiple, packed on top of multiple, packed, and what I found out, my warrior was my inner child being angry at the world. Why does the world have to tell you one thing the hypocrisy of it it doesn't work that way well why don't you just tell me the way it really works and save me the heartache and trouble you've been there <laughs> yeah yeah and but what i found out is there in because i transitioned off active duty in 2003 2004 sorry 2004 and I found a, uh, an MP unit that was going over to Iraq in the reserves because they blocked me from re-enlisting. That's how much I ticked off the brigade sergeant major because I dined him out to uh, uh, the IG and CID because he was doing. He was the epitome of a good old boy. And he destroyed lives and loved it. And that's not a leader. That's a thug. Yeah, that's right. And I met a lot of thugs in the MP Corps because they get up higher in rank, the E7s and above. They're all friends. They all gave each other the scores and everything that they needed, the boards, and created their own little army. And if you didn't go along with the program, they kicked you out. And my mouth, because <laughs> I wasn't very female friendly. And I would have colorful conversations with people. <laughs> and it's them weaponizing the UCMJ to fit their narratives. And I've seen, well, when I was in D.C., employed at the Pentagon, they kicked out five females for homosexuality. Blew my mind in a four-month period, they kicked out five females for, because they harassed them and, and intimidated them and did all this, that they'd rather get a discharge because they kissed another girl than to go through the hell that they were putting them through. Wow. And these are the things that I spoke up and I had, and I was an E6 at the time. I had my first sergeant climb over his desk, screaming at the top of his lungs, who in the heck I thought I was telling soldiers they had rights. <laughs> if they don't know any better, we can do whatever the hell we want to them. And that's when I was like, well, um, thank God I got accepted for my master's degree at Seattle University. I can't, you can't fight this. 
And some godly off reason, I'm a magnet for that stuff. I used to be. Because I would always be in a position to where, and I would already know what was going on and I knew what right looked like. Because my thing is, I'd rather deal with the truth than deal with lies because now we've wasted time, energy, and resources. And being able to, and when you get out in the civilian side of it, they're the VFW, the American Legion, and all that. They served a purpose for when they went, but uh, they they never captured the younger generation. Because you go into the law, the halls, and they're they're old, they're outdated. They're they're dark. Yep, they are. And I look at them and go, you want the younger generation, they're not all alcoholics anymore. I said, offer something else to bring them in where I wouldn't want to bring my kid into this or want them to hang out there because it was that dingy dark man bars. It's kind of a depressing and, place. I mean, I've, I've yes, been to it some, is. It's, it's kind of a depressing place. And the people that are there seem that they're not happy and laughing and joyful. I'm not saying there's not periods of that. There are some periods of that, but the overall atmosphere is kind of depressing. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and because it's dark and we now, instead of being in a basement type of we you get these corporations now that have these wide open windows especially out at the beach and stuff that it brings you back to nature because that's what we that's what brings happiness you need sunlight you need to get outside you need that fresh air and this is a place where you can sleep and gather and develop who you are in your hometown and my thing is, is I left Dayton, Ohio and never looked back. I spent a lot of time, my kids grew up in the Seattle area in a small town right outside Fort Lewis called Stillicum. And I, uh, was doing everything I could, but military was always on my mind because I was still in the reserves and I needed my security clearance to do the stuff I was over in Iraq as a contractor. I needed a TSSCI, which that's a pretty high security clearance. And I looked at it after all the stuff I've went through and all the pain and everything, I still got my top secret clearance. So that tells you that, hey, you tell the truth, own up to your stuff, and make sure you never make the same mistake twice. People will believe in you. Because we all make mistakes. That's how we learn. And we don't do what like Ronda Rousey did and have a nervous breakdown because she lost. Because she had never lost. There's always going to be somebody out there that's bigger and better. Very true. And 
because as soon as that person, I mean, look at Mike Tyson. He was the baddest on the planet at one time until Buster Douglas showed him how soft he got. But, and that's where we lose that. It's the pride and the ego that is the worst. And I think for us transitioning, because they build that pride and that ego about what you're doing for our country, because it keeps you focused on what you're doing to where you're not worrying about everything back home. Right. And that's one, that's one thing. That's why I thrived in combat. So I didn't have to worry about food, shelter, work. <laughs> they had plenty of all of that. And I had made money, more money than I did back here. But that's how you're, that's the difference between combat zone and being back here in garrison. Because over there, they, they take all those worry, those worries away from you. Because you know you're there, you, you can get three meals, five meals a day, but you're going to, you're working that whole time, but it gives you something to do. And what do you do with that downtime? I read. I worked out, I did all this and everything because I had to be prepared for Hey, if I got it into a situation, if I didn't, that's even better <laughs> because we train everything to deal with that chaos. And then when you get back here in, in the States, you look at it and going, this is a dog and pony show. And it doesn't matter because the, the guy that's going to take command is going to change everything to fit what they want. And a lot of the stuff that I've interacted with at the federal state and now the local level of coming to Jacksonville knew nobody, but you know what? I, and what it was is COVID stopped me from getting out into the community and doing things. And I worked with an organization called uh, Team Rubicon USA. And because they were, were at the time veteran organization, because we all know how to handle all that chaos of, tornadoes, destruction, and everything, how to rebuild. And they exploit that. You you give your time, they take care of everything else. And it helps you put things in perspective, meet other veterans, and realize I'm not alone. I have so many other people that to interact with. But we get into that, I'm not weak enough to help and ask for help well you don't ask for help when you're weak you ask for help when you don't need it and you're in blue skies and you're that turmoil is not there because the hurricanes are coming always <laughs> they're always coming and it's not about if if it's when but if right. you have that understanding it's about self-preservation what do you really want out of life I retired and at a young age, 42. When I 
ended my military career and retired. And it was hard at first because that was an integral part of my life. But I got in a situation to where it was no longer conducive to stay in because of what I've done other and I wouldn't have the attention to give or I don't like to play I like to do and that's what most people don't understand they you freak out with things that you don't understand and you don't know I thrived in Iraq because I understood the people I had facilitated for them to, when I was military there, we trained the Iraqi police in Baghdad. And I saw this, man, I got every training thing that they possibly, I did SWAT, uh, <laughs> everything law enforcement I could do. I was an instructor with unarmed self-defense, uh, weapon systems, everything. Then I have certificates to prove it. But because when you talk to people, a lot of them don't believe you. I don't care because I don't have to make it up. It wasn't all negative <laughs> because I met some phenomenal people I would have never had. And it helped me develop the sense of who I was and why I was doing it. And, the situation I got into that led me to retire was I couldn't fight the status quo. And there's been too many times throughout my career I bumped heads with them. And I was right. But because I got upset about it and was aggressive in my tone, in my demeanor, because I knew I was right and but it, it, I didn't understand the, the human ego until I uh, was in a bad relationship and met a girl that would blow up the ship just in spite of everybody. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, yeah. And it, I lost everything. I lost my house, my car, everything because I couldn't get a job because the individuals I got into, which were two captains in the reserves that didn't understand or didn't care who I was or what I'd done or anything, their, their pride and their egos were bruised because I fixed things that they didn't do. And they came after me and wrote me one of the worst NCOERs you could ever imagine. And I wasn't even there. I was back in Iraq as a contractor. They thought they'd never see me again. It would be funny. Well, it cost me about a half million dollars in contracts because they uh, messed with my security clearance. So I had to come back here and come back to the States. And now every place, I couldn't even get a job at a uh, restaurant serving. They, anybody saw Iraq on my resume and they were like, oh, no, sorry, bye. Thank you for your service, though. <laughs> and you know what? Thank you for your service that pay my bills. 
All I ask, I don't want money from you. Just give me an opportunity. Give me a hand up out of to, to the next level. And I found out with a lot of hiring managers and everything, I've done more than they've ever thought about doing. And I feel pride in it, but you know what? That was then. <laughs> I'm talking about now. <laughs> right, right. Well, you'll get bored with it. No, let me make that decision. Don't make it for me. And if I say I'm going to come in there, my word is my bond. I'll come in there until we get to a point to where it's no longer feasible. And, but one of the biggest thing with a lot of veterans and stuff when they're getting out, especially police officers, first responders, we're used to the authority. You have no authority as a civilian, but you have all the rights to make anything you want in the world to happen. It's all about what time and effort you want to put into it to make it happen. You want to be the best? That's fine. It's going to cost you a lot of time and effort and dedication, even when you really don't want to do it. And that's something that you can do because that's what we did in overseas. Why can't we take the skills and everything we learned overseas to interact with foreign nationals and get into our own communities and fix it? Be that. And you don't, you don't have to do it for the money. Do it because it's your home. And don't you want the best place to live on the planet? Make it to where, and Jacksonville has so much potential here. And I realize with all, I have masters in public administration, my undergrad is criminal justice. I know how to run a city. Uh, create a uh, create and sustain a livable city, and it's about loving each other. Because if hurricane happens, explosions happen, every life happens. It's okay. It happened. Now what? Well, thank God we mitigated it two years ago, and we have systems in place to where there's minimal impact. And guess what? Life goes right back on the line. And that's what we did in emergency management. We got the economy back running and running to what it was, if not better. So in your travels there, in your in your journey, not just travels, but in your journey, you had these specific things and in your transition it was mm -hmm. not necessarily your own uh, choice in this case of a transition but yes, you but i had you, to survive right you had to survive so you had to to move on you had to to step into civilian life whatever that looks like and, and mm -hmm. I, I think we talked a little bit earlier that can look many different ways but talk about the importance of finding that right place when someone makes that transition, uh, whether it's because they wanted to or they didn't uh, in your situation of what it looks like to, to go through the process of finding that right job, that right opportunity, 
some of the key little tips and tricks someone can do. We're not talking about, hey, go apply to this place, but mm -hmm. to help them find that place, to help them go down the, or, you know, even, even consider a job maybe they didn't. What are some of the things that folks can do? Well, first thing is you got to be 100% open and honest with yourself because all you have now is your time. How are you going to eat? Well, what, what? how much of your time are you willing to give up to obtain what you want? Well, the thing about it is I had to be humbled. Like I said, when I lost everything, I sat there. I have an income until I die because I fought for my disability and Social Security and everything. It wasn't easy. They don't just give you that stuff. Right. There's a lot of, and they are designed to decline you the first three times. Because people will give up after the third. Right. And that's one less thing on a statistic. And, or you hear those individuals that say, well, I want to save it for the ones that really need it. Well, that's you. Well, I feel bad. Taking, I said, do you think your little bit of, hundred to three thousand dollars matter it's less than a penny to them and they have to spend it so if you don't do it they get to divert those funds somewhere else and do what they want with it and that's what happens here in jacksonville with veterans there's a huge veteran population it's getting them out and learn teaching them ask for help you don't understand the civilians want to help you, but you, you don't, you don't, you need to find out a way to find the ones that do want to help you that have that. And cause for them, it's about giving back. That's their giving back for not having to go to combat for living in a society that we don't worry about mortars flying in or rockets or, uh, well, you have to worry about drive-bys, but yeah, because bullets don't care where it goes. <laughs> but for the most part, <laughs> I I don't carry a weapon. There's no need to. If I get into a situation, hopefully there'll be enough weapons laying around, I'll pick one up. <laughs> <laughs> but mm. to the most part, you'll never be in that position again. And you prepare for the worst and hope for the best. Because think about it. Think of the worst day you've ever had. Sleeping in a hole in another country in dirt. Mm -hmm. Homeless do that every day. Yeah. Yeah. And now what do you do? Well, I uh, I started working because uh, you need to find yourself. And I after that ordeal with the, with the retirement and everything, I got tired of being in trouble for helping people. 
for doing the right thing. And I need to learn to control my reactions to the outside world. And that's why I got into uh, emotional intelligence first. Because I found out that people intentionally pushed my triggers. They triggered me intentionally at certain times to get me a certain reaction because they expected a certain reaction. The power came when you I took it all away from them. And go, I don't care. Not my fight. You can't fight everything. Because you take that energy, that negative, positive, supernova energy with you no matter where you go. And I brought the arsenal with me everywhere I went. Tanks, helicopters, uh, guns, everything. And they're like, wait a minute, it's just a fender bender. Wow. Well, all right, guys, go back. <laughs> <laughs> but it is, but that's the mentality when you're in combat because you want them all there. But in the normal situations, you're not in that anymore. Now it's your family and what, what are you doing to make your community better once you fill your cup and that's the thing about it is we try military we try to fill everybody's cup from an empty cup because over in Iraq and everything my cup was spewing because I have paid well eating well working out being a part of something that was so much bigger than me and it was a limited time And because when you first get there, you scatter around like roaches when mortars come in near the end or you've been there for a while that just comes every day. You find out that staying in one spot sometimes because they don't aim. You're more likely to survive because other than that, you're running to it. And having that mindset of. Hey. Yeah, what am I going to do tomorrow? Whatever you want now. You don't have anybody. No one cares. Because nobody's gone through what you have in the location that you're currently in unless you go around military bases. And guess what? All those military people are looking for jobs too. And no matter what you have that made you great in the military, not necessarily is going to make you great in the civilian world because what do you do when everybody thinks they're right? All in rejection. I've never been rejected so much in my life as I have been in the civilian world. <laughs> Because no, if nobody knows who you are, why should they give you a chance? If you don't ask for help, well, I'm not helping you if you're not going to ask for help because I have my own things I'm doing. So come to me when you're ready to go, all right, I took myself as far as I could on my own. And I did that. 
I was in a class ARV in Oregon at a casino in the parking lot because I bought an RV and had no clue how to operate it other than driving it. And I told myself, well, you know what? It doesn't get any worse than this. At least I have a rolling house. My <laughs> kids were doing their thing and I was lost. And, you know, I came here to Jacksonville, Florida to set up residency for my daughter to go to college in Florida. And she went to Boise State and lives in Idaho. <laughs> but I was here. I was playing around on match, talking to a couple of different women. Because that's one thing I had a problem with when I came back. I overindulged in things that I couldn't do when I was overseas. So alcohol and women. And I'd already been separated from my wife. So I went down a, a me path. And not understanding the implications it can have on my daughters. Because they looked at me and said, Dad, we don't mind you dating, but darn. Can you whittle it down to one or two instead of 11? I was like, <laughs> but Dad's happy. Well, I was, because it was my time... And I treated them all great. And because, but when we weren't with them, I could care less what they did, who they did it with and what they did. Because not my business. And people were like, well, I just slept with this other guy. And how does that affect me? Oh, it does it. So, okay. And started getting in that mindset and of understanding that I had control over everything. It's been me, my whole problem all along. I didn't understand me or love me. And I went through equine therapy to figure that out. Cause the horse literally, as I was talking, given my, I've got this type of attitude towards it. It's not me. It's the way I perceive the world. Well, the uh, horse took a big dump behind me, backed <laughs> up, took a big dump, and then walked away. And it went, after I said the other one, it took a big pee. So I was like, okay, well, my problem is I need to love me. I spent all my time trying to please everybody else and making myself miserable in the process. And Kicking everybody off in the process because the users have no boundaries. And it, now I learned to say no. I enjoy the peace of my time. And that's something I've never had because I was always doing something for someone else and for somebody else's dream or whatever. Now, I got into, I created AO Solutions because there's, I know veterans, first responders out there that don't get it and they need to for their own peace of mind, their communication, communication with their family was the benefit I wanted to give to them. Once they use self-awareness 
And it, the self-awareness, emotional intelligence with mindfulness, because what that does, those three balance you because it is all about you and what you bring to the world. No one owes you anything. Anything. And you know what? If you have people in your life that want to see you succeed, well, your success is defined by you. Nobody else. And garbage in, garbage out. You do nothing, nothing happens. It's taking, stepping out that comfort zone and realizing my life is up to me. Why not be happy? They say in the Constitution. What are you going to do? You know, I, I think that's a, a very interesting point. I think it's a very valid point as well. And I think it speaks directly to something else that is, is part of, you know, your overall mission. And that is uh, working towards reducing, uh, eliminating even the suicide situation that we have in military, former military, law enforcement, former law enforcement, all the way across that spectrum. And I believe a lot of it has to do with not having the right mindset, not having the self-love, not having the self-awareness of how important you are to your family uh, because of maybe you don't have the right communication, how important you are to your community, how important you are to so many people. Uh, you know, I, I personally have known individuals that, you know, chose to uh, end their life for one reason or another that I truly believe for whatever reason did not have an understanding of how important they are to their family. And maybe I'm wrong, but it seems to me like that would have changed that outcome. That would have changed that decision if they would have truly had an, had an idea of how important they were to their family and once again, had a love of their self and understanding and a self-awareness of their self. And that was another, uh, that was just a, uh, a, a residual from self-awareness is you, you don't understand, you don't have to do it on your own. And it's just talking to other veterans. And that's why I think in our current system with the VA, they treat symptoms. Right. Agreed. They're, they're not getting down to the root cause of it all because I took a, a substance called BNC 210. It was for, it was originally designed for uh, smoking succession and it was a clinical trial. I got paid like 10 bucks, but what it did it, and I found out I had I didn't have a placebo. I had the real thing because all of a sudden, out of nowhere, after a couple weeks and stuff, all the barriers that I put up, because that's how I lived through life. I just forgot about it. Put up a wall, never thought about it again unless I was in that situation again. And I never made, saying, made the same mistake twice. Made a lot of mistakes, but never the same one twice. <laughs> but realizing that, yeah. wow, when you when you sit down and, and go, 
Stop blaming everybody else for your life. Realize you're living the life of your choices. There's so much out there. You're not alone. No one cares because they don't know and they, they've never experienced it. And it's unrealistic for you to expect them to. It's easier for me to get you to understand me to understand you and know how, what I can and cannot communicate with you because it's a deer in headlights. Look, I've had those. Uh, I don't know how to respond to that. Well, you know what? There's a lot in this head that has seen the horrors of humanity. I don't live in that anymore. But what it does, it set that standard to know where I don't want to go. So everything from there on out is gravy. And it's understanding that we're all in this together. And a lot of what you're taught in the military, you're only as strong as your weakest link. Everybody in that chain's purpose is to fortify everybody in that chain. Right. And when you fortify it, you can't break it. But you can also take parts of that chain, cut it off, or make a cut and detach it and make a new chain. Because you know the other ones are all fortified. And people need different analogies to go, oh, never thought of it that way. Well, why do you do anything that you do? Why do you get out of bed? If you don't love yourself and go, you know what? I get to have breakfast the way I want it. Every day of my life. Or I don't have to eat breakfast ever again because I'm a lunch and dinner guy. Or girl. <laughs> there you go. Right, right. But you have that capability in you. You just need to get, stop feeling sorry for yourself and realize all that you went through was is once you learn how to control you and the way you react to the stimulus around you, it's a superpower then because people that I've interacted with when I was younger, they look at me and go, my energy is different. They, they just stare and go, wow, you're, you're not getting emotional about anything. Well, no, I don't have to. I'm saving that energy for my happiness instead of delving it out to everybody else, trying to fix them. Well, you know what? How about I teach you how to do it yourself? That's where we come in is and meeting you where you're at in your life. Because uh, I'm 51. My kids are 25 and uh, 27. I can't, I don't live their life, but I understand it because I know the history behind it and right. because I pay attention and one book that helped me out was uh, Dale Carnegie's how to win friends and influence people. And then I, but Daniel Goldman's 
emotional intelligence 2.0 made me uh, understand my emotions and nothing he talks about is rocket science or something great and new. It's been around for thousands of years. Unless you're educated on it, you'll never know. And then you realize when you're on your deathbed and you have all these regrets, I wish I would have could have. Nah, I did it. I don't have any of those regrets. And now it's, I'm 51. What else can I get into? <laughs> and it all starts with your local community and get involved. I got on a board of a nonprofit that is a faith-based. Their mission is to feed the hungry, clothe the needy, and heal the sick at no cost to the public. Where other better way can you, or better organization can you get with? And they struggle. They've been around for 35 years here in Jacksonville and nobody knows who they are. And that's the thing, because I get to see it directly. The impact that services like that do have. And it makes me feel good in myself and my heart to be a part of it and realize if that's how I want to spend my time is any things that reinforce who I am and my brand, because we're all brain, we're on a brand. When you say military, we have certain expectations that you can understand things. You can uh, take simple instructions you can get things done. And unfortunately, things in the civilian side don't work as fast as it does in the military. It's slow and arduous. And, you, and unless you have the money right there, nothing gets done. It's all about the money at this point. If there's no funding, we don't have federal funding to do anything we're doing. How are you going to get it? Well, your local community will chip in because give them a reason to spend their money. Because other than that, it sits in a bank. Yeah, that, that's interesting that you, you point that out. It's amazing to me how many grants and different funds are available, You know, obviously not just in Jacksonville, but all over the country that are left unspent and left un, no one even applied for them every single year. Because no one knew about it. Right. And because, but you look at it is whose responsibility is it? If I don't know, it's my responsibility to know. Agreed. And guess what? I'll network with that individual that does know because I can't know what you know. I don't have enough time. I It's taken me 51 years to get where I'm at now. <laughs> <laughs> And I won't be able to do a whole nother life through someone else, but that communication, that understanding, the grace, all these are factors involved for yourself first. Because you can't change yesterday. It doesn't exist. It'll never exist again. Yeah. It'll never happen again. That's right. Tomorrow doesn't exist because you haven't written it yet. You haven't spent that time yet. 
But as soon as you spend time, and that's we get 24 hours in a day. And time does nothing but stop or but does nothing but continue. Right. Because and it's more of a mindset to keep everybody in sync than it is to actually really matter. Because if you didn't know about time, you just knew about the sun. It comes up, comes down. And that's where the knowledge comes in and educate yourself. If it gives you joy, research it. If it still gives you that joy, research, research it some more. And now you want to know it, teach it, coach it, put those theories to the test and you find out what you can and cannot do. And I followed the money earlier in my career. Now I I follow the experience because money comes, money goes. But one thing that can't take away is my education, my experience. And that's what veterans have to understand, law enforcement, first response. Now it's about you. You did it for everybody else before. Do it for your reasons. And you know what? Don't care about judging, people judging you. One of the things I've noticed, the ones that judge you the most are the ones not doing anything. People that are out doing their thing, they'll say, hey, welcome to the club. You're going to work your butt off more and harder than you ever thought about. Because that's how we grow and develop and become the best at what we want out of life. Because for me, it's not about the money. It's about the message. And the universe and God, ever since I let go of my ego and my pride and accepted being in the moment, I re- I, it, it's liberating to sit there and just watch nature and watch and participate in things that are going on around you. Because everything starts with you. And you want more out of life for yourself. Because who wants to just sit and wait and die? That's interesting that you say that. Yeah, that's interesting to, to think about that because... We all at some point, obviously military, certainly, but all of us some point, whether military or not, have been like always told you should always think of others first. Yes. And there's nothing really wrong with that per se, but what it does keep you from doing is a lot of times that self-awareness or that self-care or that self-love, because Mm -hmm. you can even lose yourself in that, right? I mean, this is really what you're talking about. Even as military, you're trained, you're trained to focus so much on helping others, especially if you're overseas, right? The folks back home, the folks back home, we're here to take care of the Mm -hmm. folks back home. And there it's truly, there's a reason for it, right? There is actually a psychological reason that the army's doing that to get you to focus on, 
you're just here to do this work and you're doing it for them. And them is a wide term. It's not just your family, right? It's you're doing it for everyone. But you can get lost in that is what the real problem is, is when you get back to the States. And in particular, if you maybe come out of combat and then straight back into civilian life, you can be lost in that world of I'm just doing this for everyone else. And I do nothing for myself. Yeah. And you, then you get it. And when you don't do that anymore, you lose. Well, why am I even here? And that's when you start going down the deep end. You numb yourself by alcohol or other drugs because who doesn't want to be high? Because you feel good and it unlocks different things and it's detachment from the reality of the boredom. When, because it's easier, but it's expensive. There's a cost to everything. Right. Right. And your time is what you give up. It's the only thing you have to sell the world. And my thing is I'm learning, trying to learn how to monetize what I know. Because everybody and their brother is going to ask you for money. <laughs> and you have to learn to say, that's not our goal right now. Our goal is to actually make a couple of dollars before we start giving it all away. <laughs> and, but your family, yourself, my, you'll see a lot of veterans and stuff. They're so egocentric and pride and everything. Well, it's beneath me to do that. Well, no, it's not. That's what civilians get into when they see these titles and everything. I've had people blow me off because they didn't know who I was. But if they would have sat and actually had a conversation, we could help each other. Because Ultimately, I did everything for everybody else. And I had when I started focusing on me, I've grown and developed faster and stronger than I ever thought about. Because I have a partner in my life that showed me the errors of my ways. And showed me what love was. And why what I was doing was was hurting people. Because these women would fall in love and I would walk away. And it's because I didn't love myself and I needed that affirmation. That validation. That I'm worth something. Well, you know what? Now it's, I don't need that anymore. I don't get in trouble doing things with my wife. I get in trouble doing everything with everybody else. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. And so why not put all that time and effort into that one person that, that can bring you joy and happiness rather than drama and heartache? No. Uh, it's, and, and, you know, I, I think it, it's so easy to, to fall into those different things where we let whatever in the world distract us from what's important and i don't really get it i mean i've done it myself too i mean i think everyone's done it and a lot of times program too 
I know, but it's so funny because it's it's like what? How did I even get here? How did I even get? Yeah. I think sometimes we can't even. Sometimes it's very gradual, right? It's just a a gradual thing, and then you well, how did this ever happen? How did we ever get this far apart? And how I think friendships happen the same way, right? We've got people yep. that we maybe are lifelong friends with, and then all of a sudden, can we even call ourselves even acquaintances? We don't even, yeah. you know, we never talk. We don't, it, it's a weird dynamic, I think. And I understand sometimes lives just grow apart. It, it, sometimes it's just life paths take us different places. But sometimes, it, I won't even say it's a conscious decision, but it's almost like it is a conscious decision that you start making choices that move you away from someone that's important in your life. And those decisions were actually bad decisions. In other words, they were, sometimes they were selfish decisions and they were selfish decisions that, that were not based on, uh, it, it actually was lack of self-awareness and lack of self-love that caused you to make those decisions. They were selfish, but not based on self-awareness and self-love. It's a, it's a kind mm -hmm. of a weird little dynamic, strange thing that happened there that it was almost based on, I know this is a weird thing, but we see this. I was too happy. I didn't deserve to be that happy. So I'm making these decisions because I'm going to kind of sabotage this, not consciously, but it's going to sabotage this because I really didn't deserve all this anyway. Yeah. It's self-defeating. Yeah. And you, you, <laughs> well, that's where the imposter syndrome comes in. Yes. And the thing about it is, how do you think they would feel being in doing what you did in the military imposter? Cause they had no clue. They didn't go through it. You didn't go through them busting their ass every day at a company, starting from the bottom, working their way to the top. And you come in in the middle. There's a lot of animosity and hatred there. And why it's the ego and the pride. Well, you know what? No matter how you got there, we're we're both here. Now what? Do we fight the rest or do we see where we have commonalities? I guarantee we can get we get along 95% of the time on 95% of the subjects. It's are we going to let that 5% yeah. yeah, destroy the 95. And that's where we're at now in this society. In yeah. the world they're letting these little things and not looking at the big things and people worrying about everything outside their control. Yeah. You're, you're a hundred percent right there. Hey buddy. I, I know uh, yeah. this has been a great conversation. Yes. Um, <laughs> it, I, we, we are out of time. I do want to talk a little bit about what you guys are doing. Uh, Philip over at uh, AL solutions. Um, what what you offer. So I'm going to kind of go to it at it verbatim, y'all, for one-on-one -on -one coaching, group coaching. Uh, speak, yeah, you will accept spe speaking engagements, I know, to come and talk about all the experiences that you've had, mindfulness practices, and comprehensive skill set development. Uh, yes. Where can someone – I know they can reach out to you on LinkedIn. Where else can they reach out to you, Philip, to learn more about this? And – who, if you're, if you're, obviously, if you're listening to this and you are military or former military, law enforcement, former, uh, former law enforcement, and you have heard something here that struck a nerve, certainly you are someone that can reach out to Philip. But family members, 
as well. I'm guessing if someone has a family member that fits into one of these categories as well, and they know that they need to talk to someone, but maybe they're reluctant to do so. What resources can you offer them? Uh, is, is it appropriate for them to reach out to you as well to maybe make an introduction? Oh, hey, we're looking at uh, any bit of uh, collaboration, understanding. I'm, I'm down for it. Uh, I One thing that I didn't talk about was the family. The reason why I want you to communicate better with your family is because those are jobs come, jobs go, professions go. Family is all you really have. And sometimes it's all you, you are the only one you really have. And that's what I found out here when I was in Jacksonville. And knowing that I'm not alone, there's so many organizations, 45,000 organizations in the United States that say they help veterans. Why don't we put them to the test? Because if they're not used, they go away. Yep. That's right. That's right. Because you can't, they can't justify their existence. And they're all clamoring for veterans. I mean, I learned how to play golf. I learned, I played golf at some of the nicest golf courses here in Jacksonville. At no cost. I It just took my time. And I got to hang out with a bunch of veterans and share stories and have a better understanding of, uh, uh, I'm glad I'm not the only one going through this crap. But we isolate ourselves away and go, well, I don't like to, I didn't want to deal with anything with Wounded Warrior Program because the party they had in Vegas and the CEO lost his job and this and that. They spent $4 million on a a symposium. As a nonprofit, that's insane. The worst place to ever spend that much money and expect not to be criticized for it. You taking tax or donors' money and partied really hard on it in Sin City. But it all comes back down to what makes you happy. Get involved, test it. Go out and try these different organizations. They will and see what they're like. If you find your tribe, enjoy it because you can learn and develop with together and realize that you're not more, no different from anybody else. 250,000 veteran service members transitioning every year. Right. This is not going away. It's been a problem forever. It's, I don't care about what Joe's doing next door. What are you doing for yourself? How you, what food are you putting on the table for you? Because you can't fill your cup and, or you can't help anybody else with an empty cup, fill yours. I, mine's full. I, now I let the flow overflow, love the rest of the world as much as I can because I took care of me when I needed to take care of me when I, when I didn't need it because it saved me when I did. And that's something that you got to look at is if you don't spend it 
or you don't participate and take advantage of it because it, it for a lot of different organizations, might as well just spit in their face. Or just tell them to screw off when they say, uh, thank you for your service. Well, for them, it means a lot. And you have to understand that they do it out of their own kindness because they know they'll never be in that position you were in. Right. And, and because of you, they didn't have to send their children. And we survived it. That's the biggest thing is. That's, yeah. That's at, right. any, at any time I could have got blown up and killed, but I was willing to take that risk. And that's when it comes back down to, I realized everything started with me and my, my successes and failures were mine, but I learned. And now how about we give, uh, let you understand from a different level of how to get there because I'm talking to the guy above me because we're all in different places because you, if you didn't serve, well, you, you, we're making it in your community. You were making those connections. I had nobody when I first got here. I could have sat and wallowed and drunk myself into oblivion. And I gained weight because of the alcohol. Because to me, it was just a normal thing. It was comfort to calm my, my mind. Well, but it did nothing to help me. And it wasn't until I asked for help and I sought, I wouldn't be where I'm at. I didn't get where I'm at now alone. I made decisions that were better for me and everybody else. Because even when you go out and help at these, uh, like the food bank or something like that, you're sitting there going, that's a Wagyu beef. And that's a $50, <laughs> uh, <laughs> that's a $50 piece of meat there or lamb and everything you're going at. Eh. But then you look at it and go, it's not meant for you. Right. It never was. And at least they're giving it out to the communities rather than throwing them in the garbage. Right. That's what they used to do. And jack the prices up of everything. So you still paid for what they had to throw away. But uh, when it all comes down to it is love that neighbor as much as you love yourself. And if everybody's thinking about themselves and have an understanding of who they are and how they react, and no one's allowing these triggers to get out there, imagine how easy we can get along. Yeah, absolutely. And it's not a competition, it's collaboration. Man, I couldn't have said that better myself. I agree with you yeah. 100%. I, I've preached that over and over, even in my own industry, where, you know, a lot of folks look at the, the, we do the same thing. So we must be competitors. Absolutely. That is not true. The only way we're going to make a real impact is if we collaborate and 
and lift up one another. Well, I want to thank you yes. once again, Philip, for being on the show today. I think you have given us some great insights and a lot to think about. Uh, you guys can check out Philip, obviously, on LinkedIn and also visit his website. That's alessolutions.com, A-Y-L-E-S-S-O-L-U-T-I-O-N-S. That's ales, A-Y-L-E-S, solutions.com. Y'all go and check them out. There is going to be a lot of information there. I tell you, you've got some great posts and some good newsletters you've already released, too, there on LinkedIn. Thanks again for being with us, Philip, and I hope to have you on again sometime to share some of the successes that you're going to have over the next uh, year or so. I greatly appreciate it, and I love being able to go on these type of podcasts and share. And hopefully if I touch one person out there or one person can relate and go, huh, you don't have to wait till tomorrow. Do it right now. Say, get up and go, okay, it's enough. I need to get this done for me. And thank you. And let's all share the love together because war sucks. Absolutely. Yeah. Take that first step, go out to the website, check out Philip. He's there to help you. Don't wallow in your self-pity anymore. Get some help, get the help that you deserve. All right. Thanks again for joining us on the health and wealth power hour. We will catch you next time. I'll tell you what, don't, don't uh, forget. We have lots of episodes in the can as it were. So go and check them out at hwpowerhour.com or on any of the places where you consume your podcast. Apple, Spotify, Google, all those awesome places out there. Thanks again for being with us. We'll catch you next time. We are out. <laughs>